Well, we're in a series entitled Build, and we're talking about how Jesus, who's promised to build the church, is building the church. He's building each one of us as Christians who are living stones into a spiritual house where God's habitation resides. And so we're talking about uh, what it looks like for him to build his church. And a couple of weeks ago, we looked at the doctrine of the priesthood of believers, how in salvation, Christ has placed his grace upon us and made us as the church a nation of priests, that that we live in the world for three specific purposes, that God has chosen us to worship Not just the activity, but rather the orientation of our life so that all of our life becomes a demonstration of his glory and power. He has not only chosen us for worship, he has commissioned us for intercession. In other words, to live in the world on behalf of the world and on behalf of God as his ambassadors. So we represent God to the world and we represent the world to God. And our labor is to bring the good news of the hope of Jesus Christ to them. And one of the principal ways that we've done that is through that third role as nation of priests. We've been charismaed for ministry, the work of the gospel of Jesus Christ. God has placed his grace upon us to empower us to live and to serve distinctly as his people. Now, last week we started with Ephesians 4 and we talked about five leading gifts, apostolic, prophetic, evangelistic, shepherding, and teaching that are to lead the church. I'm gonna come back to those next week and talk about the relationship of the individual Christian to the body of Christ as a whole and how God leads us together in unity as one. But today I want to take some time to focus on individual Christians. In other words, each one of the whole. And I want to talk about how God bestows his grace upon his followers so that they can be empowered to serve. And so today we're looking at gifts of grace, the second installment of this part of the series, empowered to serve. Have you ever considered what grace looks like? What what does grace, well, how do you sense and experience grace? Well, that's what the gifts of grace are all about. That God's grace to us empowers us in such a way that we as the body of Christ can experience God's grace in a regular, ongoing manner. And, And what we're trying to do in this study of grace is to identify not only evidence of grace, but the tangible manifestations of divine grace so that we can multiply and propagate them more and more through our body as a whole. And here's what I want you to see. Here's the big idea I want you to walk away with today for your life that God empowers Christians with gifts of grace to serve among the body to build the whole body up or to build up all the body. And let me just give you some kind of instruction because when you start talking about gifts, it's kind of like Christmas morning. Once paper starts flying, nobody's listening to anything else, right? So I want to talk to you a little bit about how the sermon is structured so that when we get into the body of the sermon, you can kind of track with the flow of it, okay? I'm going to offer you three principles to guide you in understanding how God has gifted you by grace. 
And with each of those principles, I'm going to offer a step of application to help you understand how that principle practically applies to your life. Okay? So I'm going to go principle step, principle step, principle step. Now the first principle is going to take a little more time because we're actually going to look at seven of the gifts in Romans chapter 12. And so I just want to prepare you for this and now we'll begin to to prepare to hand out the gifts and see where we get with this. All right, let me begin with the first principle, set it forth and I'll show you where it's at in the scripture. Principle number one is that every Christian holds a grace DNA from God uniquely suited to that individual. Every Christian holds what I'm calling a grace DNA and I'll explain that in a moment from God uniquely suited to the individual. Romans 12, as we'll read in a moment, The first part of verse 6 says this, having gifts that differ, talking about us, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them, Paul instructs. Have you heard of these online DNA ancestral assessments that you can do? I I, I know some of you probably have, have done a lot of research on ancestry and you know more about this than I do I know just enough to get me in trouble and just enough to use it as a good illustration that's typically I don't want too much knowledge because it might destroy the illustration if I have it I can't use it in the way I want to is what I'm saying I knew someone who uh who was wanting to study their ancestry more one time and so they decided they were going to try one of these online DNAs where they basically you spit on the card You put it in an envelope and send it to them and they take your DNA and assess it and they send back and they show you all this glorious truth about your family heritage and lineage, right? Well, this particular friend uh, had known her grandparents and I I can't remember if she knew her great-grandparents or not. I don't think so, but it was very clear that their family, just a couple of generations before her, had migrated from Portugal to the southern part of the United States. And they had settled in southern Georgia, and that's where she grew up. And, and I mean, this was, a, this was something that the family was very aware of, had talked greatly about. And so when she spit on the card, and well, however you do, I don't know exactly that. So I'm just, maybe you pluck some hair. I guess not all of us can get that test done, huh? Sends it in. Anxiously she awaits to know what aspects of Portugal still inhabit her being and and that she can enjoy because she's Portuguese, you know, and and all of these kinds of things. And so week one passes, week two passes, about three weeks pass, and the results come back. And it tells her that her family originates from Cleveland. I don't know if Cleveland was actually the place, but my point is this, had nothing to do with Portugal. Everything that the report said had nothing to do with everything she had learned about her family. It was destroying for a moment anyway. What I want to talk to you about though is discovering your gifts is really about discovering an imprint of God's grace put on your life. 
Now, last week I talked about the real power of of gifts of grace is this, that the God who created you, who perfectly knows you in this life, in the physical life and in every dimension and realm of it, he is the one that saves you and he is the one that places his grace upon you. And so your spiritual DNA is perfectly matched to your actual DNA. And when God puts his grace upon you, he imprints his divine nature upon you as he places it in you for a purpose to be used for him. And that's what your grace DNA is all about. I'm assuming that we're all familiar with the concept of DNA because that's about as extensive as I can get in the science of it to explain it. I know it's two little things that wrap like that with little bars going back and forth. That's the only visual thing that I know about it. But I know that it's unique to every individual for the ways that we're able to utilize it in the world today. And I'm saying that about God's grace upon your life. That it is given to us in such a way that is unique to every individual person that ever has lived. You see, the DNA is your genetic code, and the grace DNA is your spiritual genetic code of eternal life. You know, often when we think about finding our spiritual gift, some people kind of approach it like a, oh, I've got to find a needle in a haystack kind of approach to it. And it's not that way at all, friends. It's not about that. Actually, it's far more obvious than you might think. And I want to encourage you in this. But, but what I want to ask you not to do is please don't spit on your life point notes and hand them in at the kiosk. We won't be able to help you in that way. See, I thought that was funnier than that. I really did. Rather, what I want you to do is consider the obvious of your life. Just consider what is most obvious to you. And then consider the way that people have affirmed your life in the church. And the way you've served. And the the ways that you've benefited and helped other people. And, and, And listen for those things as affirmations. Not specifically confirmation, but affirmations that that direct you back to the inclinations and and the things about you that God seems to be saying and leading you in in this discernment. Consider those things in order to discern where you most naturally, naturally align to serve and then realize that your grace DNA will become for you a lifelong discovery through service, through encouragement of the body, and of the spirit and through affirmation among the people of God. So this is the first principle I want to set forth for you that every Christian holds a grace DNA from God that is uniquely suited to that individual. And here's the step of application that I want to offer to you. I want you to first of all identify what I'm calling a catalytic gift. A catalytic gift. Now go with me to Romans chapter 12 and verse 3. When we go to Romans 12, verse 3, here's what we learn. Let me give you just a real brief run-up to this verse. Romans chapters 1 through 11 is the most extensive explanation of God's grace and salvation in the whole of Scripture. 
The whole reason that Paul writes the first 11 chapters of Romans is to explain to us what salvation is from God. And so he lays a very strong theological foundation. When he comes to chapter 12, he begins chapter 12 in verse 1 this way. Therefore, in other words, because of the first 11 chapters of Romans, the rest of Romans exists. And he says, therefore, I urge you in view of God's mercy to no longer conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That you might know by the transformation of God that renews our thinking, that you might know what God's will is that is good for you, that is pleasing to you, and is perfect for you. And then verse 3, he begins this way. Read with me as I read aloud. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Do you hear that? God's grace that comes to us does some things the same for all of us, does other things uniquely suited to each one of us. Let's keep reading. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, he says, in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Now, when I tell you I want you to identify your catalytic gift and and draw from this passage, what I want us to see is that, first of all, your catalytic gift is your principal gift that motivates and applies the full recipe of your gift mix. Okay, when you think about spiritual gifts, don't think about one single item. Think more in terms of recipe. Okay, if you're going to bake a chocolate cake, what's the principal recipe of the chocolate cake going to be? I'm not a cook, so just go with the app. Chocolate, yes, and hopefully dark chocolate. Everybody knows that's higher culture in chocolate world, I mean. Chocolate, yeah. So what I want you to think of is your gift mix is a recipe So that that you can understand it. But what I'm talking about is that principal ingredient or that catalytic gift of God's grace that's put on your life. Now, before we move into talking about these gifts, let me just remind you of what Paul reminds us of before he gets to the gifts in verses 3, 4, and 5. Because he's telling us that Christians should think about themselves from the aspect of a renewed mind. Did you know that the grace of God that comes to you in salvation not only makes you think differently about God, it makes you think differently about yourself. To not think of ourselves more highly than we ought, but don't think of yourself as less than God has said. 
That's what grace gives us the power to do. Christians think about themselves from a renewed mind according to the measure of God's grace that has been assigned to you. Now, let me set this up and let me tell you what God's grace has already taken care of for all of us, okay? In learning to think correctly according to God's grace, there are no excuses in our life because sometimes we want to say to God, well, God, I'm just not enough to serve you. But 1 Corinthians 15.10 tells us that our identity of being loved and accepted by God are established for all of us because Paul says this, for by God's grace I am what I am. There is no excuse of I'm not good enough to serve God because God has made you righteous in salvation. He's put grace upon you to serve his purposes in the world. Another measure of grace according to God that's been placed upon us is found in Romans chapter 5 and verse 20 and it deals with our salvation. It tells us that God's grace is greater than all my sin. Some might say that God, I've got some things I need to work out before I go to work for you. In other words, there's some sins that prevent me from serving you. And what Paul reminds us is this, that though we are not perfect in this life, we are perfectly suited with God's assigned grace to us to serve his purposes for us. You say, well, I have a sin. You see, friends, there is no measure of sin. There is no compilation of sin. There's no compounding of sin. There is no cumulative effect of sin upon your life that removes God's grace from you. And Romans 5.20 teaches us that God's grace is always greater than our sin. And Paul wants to encourage you to think according to God's grace. That your sin doesn't own you and your sin doesn't define you because of Jesus Christ. That grace and God's assignment to you is what defines you as a Christian. And the third measure of God's grace that's been placed upon us, we see in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. Well, God, I, I see where you say you've made me what you want me to be and, and you want me to serve and that my sin, though yet I struggle in areas I still am equipped to serve. But God, the truth of the matter is, and maybe you might feel this way, I, I don't know that I can do what you command or call me to do. And you see, we're not the first to have experienced that. And nor will, shall we be the last. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 tells us that God's grace is sufficient to obey all his commands. So whatever God calls you to, think about it according to the grace that God has assigned to you. Now that he's put us in a place where he's prepared us to serve. He wants us to see these gifts that are catalytic for us. Now, some of these gifts will be the same as what I looked at last week with the leading gifts, but they're used in different manners, different ways, and what I might call different levels as well. 
in ways that they're demonstrated in the church. But let me just briefly give you somewhat of an introduction to these. First of all, he says, if prophecy... Now, prophecy is the gift where someone has that acute awareness by God's grace to proclaim his truth with power and with clarity. And, and, and that, that truth is proclaimed, God's truth, not the individual's truth. That truth is proclaimed for correction in people's life, for repentance and to call them to repentance, but also for edification in their life. In other words, to build up the things of righteousness and, and justice and mercy that are within them. You see, a prophetic gift has an aim or a focus on the righteousness of God and, and the holiness of God, and therefore it has a focus upon the justice of God in the world. And so it's always appealing to the word of God and the rightness and the truth of it and the authority that his word has. And those who exercise this gift are proclaiming it in such a way to, to bring the power of the authority of God's word to bear upon our lives and the clarity of it. And, and, and you can always tell somebody's got a prophetic gift. They, they sometimes struggle with like pastoral gifting or shepherd gifting. And so they're like a Mack truck at full speed. They'll just run right over you if they're not careful because why because it's the power of God's word it's righteous you need to hear this right and so those with this gifting that they have to have a lot of good shepherding friends around them to help go hey remember that not only what you say is right but it's important when and how you say it too timing and tenor or tone is important and so that prophetic gifting is blessed with those around it but it helps us to call us to that correction and repentance and for edification the next one is serving serving so well, I thought we were all supposed to serve yes but some have that catalytic gift that organizes and motivates all of their other gifting to serve and let me tell you about this person they're pretty easy to spot they're always there when you need them and ready to do whatever you ask them they don't care what the action is. They're just ready and they stand ready to serve in that way. And a serving person always addresses practical, physical needs, but not just to get the task done. They want the one for whom they are doing it to know, not that just they love them, but that God loves them. And, and usually they'll repeat that multiple times in the act that they're doing. Oh, I'm just happy to do this. I just want you to know God loves you. You know, I just, want, I just want to encourage you today, whatever's taking place. And they might even listen to you, but it's all during the work that's taking place in the midst of that. The third catalytic gift is the gift of teaching. The teacher focuses on not only God's word, but explaining that word so people can understand and apply it to life. And here's the, here's the unique nature of the teacher, that the teacher will just continue to grab stuff that's just an inanimate object and illustrate and app apply, I about said applicate. That would have been okay, but anyway. And apply continues until they see in you the light come on. And when the light comes on, they feel like their work has come to completion. I mean, they, they are aggressive and, and, and desirous to make sure that what is being taught is fully explained because they want you to be able to grasp it, embrace it, and apply it to your life. And you can see that come through in the teaching gift. The gift of exhortation. 
Exhortation is simply that verbal encouragement to strengthen us, to assure us, to affirm us, and even to challenge our faith at times. Now, you, you might say, now, isn't that just encouragement? Well, it can be, and it often is through encouragement, but exhortation is more than just encouragement. It's not just encouraging you, it's encouraging God's will, word, and way in you. And so that exhortation is a word spoken and sometimes a deed done that strengthens God's, uh, the seed of God's word in you. Maybe you're struggling with a decision. You know what God's word says, but you're challenged by some of the, the things that are going to be confronted in your life if you obey it. And someone who's got the gift of exhortation comes along and says, listen, you know that what God's word promises you is greater than anything that confronts you, right? And they challenge, they, they, they challenge us, but at the same time, it, it, so often, this gift, when it's demonstrated, simultaneously says something that challenges you to your bone and yet makes what they said the most desirous thing that you could want at the very moment. And you know it. And you go, you know, I've had a lot of people tell me the same thing here, but I didn't feel the way about it I feel with you. Why? Because they're exhorting you. They are farming the seed of God's word in your heart that the soil of your life might be adequate to let that seed take root and grow deep roots and produce sweet fruit in you. That's the gift of exhortation. The gift of giving. The gift of giving is the gift that applies wise financial management in order to give generously to meet needs by financial means. In other words, the person who has the catalytic gift of giving is a person that lives their whole life in such a way to manage wisely their financial resources so they can maximize them because they're looking for the next opportunity to bless somebody through those financial means. I'll give you two illustrations of this. The first one is my grandfather. I grew up under a man who was very gifted in this way. Uh, his, his parents, my great-grandfather, and their parents came over from Western Europe, settled in Georgia, came across through Louisiana, and in the late 1800s and early 1900s, migrated up into South Arkansas, the glory land, basically. It was about that time that my grandfather opened a grocery store, my uh, my great-grandfather opened a grocery store my grandfather worked for him. And the oil boom of about 1908 happened in South Arkansas where uh, the small town I grew up in, about 700 people, went from, they say, roughly 3,000 people to over 35,000 people in a week's time. In a week's time. People were coming in on trains looking for work. Of course, you also know that those years, while they seemed to be accelerating, there was also some looming fears of what would become the Great Depression and those kinds. Of, they were hard times, put it like that. And in those days, as they owned their grocery store, they began to invest in the oil boom and little here and little there. And my grandfather took over the business, and by the time I came along, he was running a very successful business. He was um, a, a a wealthy man by worldly measures, but that is not the way people talked nor thought about him. When people talked or thought about my grandfather, to me, and 
to others as well. His reputation was one of godliness and generosity. As a matter of fact, there were no less than six people in his church where he was the treasurer for over 40 years who often would say to me, you know, your grandfather's the guy that picks up the tab when we fall short at the end of our need. There's never been a kid that didn't go to camp because your grandfather said that wouldn't happen on his watch. Never been a kid that didn't get to participate in the things that the church was doing. The church didn't have lingering needs, not only because of him, but he was one among them. And you know, that, that was by the time I came onto this, the site, the oil industry in South Arkansas was not at its peak. It had already peaked and the oil recession was taking place throughout my life. But the oil recession, in other words, the economy through which my grandfather operated in business, never stopped his generosity in the church. He managed his life in such a way to bless people by financial means. I'll give you one other illustration. When we planted LifePoint in 2004, for six or eight months, I was going around making contacts, raising funds, trying to get people to support the church. And um, my in-laws uh, hosted a, a welcome reception one night uh, at uh, their home in Memphis where they lived at the time. And they invited some of their friends in. They, they told them why they were coming. So it wasn't like, a, hey, come have dinner. Oh, yeah, listen to this. Don't do that. They told them why they were coming. I explained the vision of the church to them, and people that were interested got to come. Well, there was a man there that night who, uh, today I can't even honestly remember his name. That was 15 years ago. And he heard the vision and, and he encouraged us as he walked away. And he ended up sending a check uh, just a few months later to the church. That was probably April or May when he sent the check for the church to be planted. We weren't a church at that point. We didn't start until that fall. But that December... Six months later, maybe eight months later, he said, I'm not sure why I'm doing this, but the Lord impressed upon my heart that there were needs among your church because you're young, you don't know all that's going to take place, and you're basically three months into public service. So here's a check, and he sent us a check for $25,000. I don't even know the man. I don't know the man. He's a friend of a friend, Right? There was no reason for him to send that to me or to this church. And I can tell you that's not the only time that's happened. That's happened multiple times. I'll go so far to say this, that the benefit that this church has enjoyed, the blessing that this church has enjoyed for 14 years is that God has raised up those kinds of people among us over and over and over again. I'm not talking about the regular faithful giving of the people. I'm talking about people who believed God gave them the wealth that they gave them and that they managed it in such a way that would bring honor and glory to him so that they could give above their regular giving to meet specific needs through financial means. That's the leading catalytic gift of giving. I'll be honest with you. I pray that God will continue to raise those kinds of people up because God uses them among the body for his kingdom. The next gift is the gift of leading. The gift of leading simply envisions direction and the future and what goals need to be set to get there. 
and that they exercise to motivate, to direct that vision, and to manage resources to move mission forward. These are the people that show up at ministry meetings and they go, okay, here's the problem we're dealing with. Now we just need to figure out what's going to get us by it and move forward with it. I mean, that, that's that leading gift coming through. And the seventh one is acts of mercy as a leading gift. This is kind of like serving, except that, that person who has acts of mercy as their leading gift, they're always focused on those who are suffering and the suffrage of people. So they even go so far as to go to people who are completely undeserving, who, who, who maybe have been committed of crimes or committed of, of known guilt for whatever they're guilty of. But these people have an inclination to seek them out and do whatever they can to alleviate the burden, even of consequences. In other words, right burdens. They want to alleviate those burdens because they feel such compassion for those people. And, and they, they orient everything to this very cause. You find them in places that most people wouldn't dare to go, but they're there with regularity. You see, catalytic gifts, I begin with them because we are instructed to think in accordance to the measure of our faith. Our catalytic gift does this for all of our other gift mix. It provides this for us. It brings together the faith that we have or the way that we serve with the motivation from God's grace or the why that we serve and the what or the action through which we perform. And it brings them all into one, synergizes them together. And that's the way we live our life out of that gifting. It's a catalytic gift. It catalyzes something in us where we go, need, resource, ability. Let's do this, right? I mean, it comes together for one purpose, and it catalyzes that within us. It provides what I would call the distinctive thread and the defining purpose for your service through all the gifts. And in your grace DNA, your catalytic gift are the principal stems upon which everything else connects and engages in ministry. Now here's how you grow in this. Hold on to this because I will come back to it in just a moment. Growth is when you exercise the same gift but with stronger faith. That's Christian growth. As you grow, you learn God's faithfulness. That strengthens your faith. And you do sometimes more, greater, whatever the measurement may be in that. That's growth. Here's maturity. Maturity in the Christian faith is when you exercise the same gifting, but your motivation has deepened and you've become wiser with the way that you implement it. So growth makes us stronger. Maturity makes us wiser in that catalytic gifting and the expression of our ministry. It's not the only gift you have, but it is the principal gift to demonstrate how all the gifts are used. Now, let me give you two factors to remember in this. First of all, every Christian's gifting is unique to that individual, and every gift is used according to faith. Okay? So don't just look at somebody else and what they do and think, I'm just going to adopt that. You'll learn from them, but you cannot pull, fully identify with them. And in your gifting, if you find that you believe you have a gift, yet in the exercise of it, you struggle to exercise it with the proper motivation. In other words, it makes you bitter, angry, and frustrated when you try to do it instead of deepening 
gratitude for God and love for other people, if, if you struggle to exercise it with the proper motivation and you find that your faith is limited in its supply to meet the demand of the need that is before you, that probably says one of two things. Either God is growing you and maturing you in that moment or you got the wrong gift, right? Serving God is not a matter of deeper frustration, anxiety, and irritation. It is a means to joy. It is a means to gladness in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And second of all, your grace will include your natural talent, but it's not identical to nor limited by your natural talent. Every Christian holds a catalytic gift of their grace DNA from God. The second principle I want to offer to you today explains why the gifts of grace are given. Each Christian is strengthened by God's grace for strategic ministry among the body. That's why your grace, uh, your, your gift is given, to strengthen you by grace for strategic ministry among the body. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 6 and 11 says this, the same God who empowers them all in every one. It is the same God. And then he goes on to say, all these are empowered by one and the same God. God gives you the power to serve by grace. It is he who is working in you. The Holy Spirit empowers Christians to demonstrate his supreme glory by the exercising of their gifts to demonstrate his triune nature over the false gods of the earth. That's what Paul is addressing in 1 Corinthians. That everybody's worshiping everything equally as God. And Paul says everything is not equal as God. They're all equal, but there's one that is far supreme to all others. And what he does in you and through you demonstrates the supremacy of his glory in all things. And so he's saying to us that our gifts of grace are never just a demonstration of our individual ability. They're never only just a demonstration of what God is doing within us individually, but they are a manifestation of his grace to us, upon us, in us, so that it can come through us for the world to see. If nobody's being blessed by your gift, you ain't using it. Pardon my French. Right? A gift is not a possession to hold. It's a power to demonstrate. And that's the point that he's making here. We are strengthened for service. And that service comes out of a deepening intimacy with God because a deepening intimacy with God depends on serving among the body. In other words, you're not going to deepen your intimacy and relationship with God without serving. And serving among the body depends upon your deepening intimacy with God. Your service will be strengthened and grown and matured as your personal relationship with the Lord is deepened in its intimacy. So the second step I want to offer to you is seek to mature by your matrix of ministry. Your matrix of ministry. The first 11 verses of 1 Corinthians 12 focuses on what I call a matrix of ministry where each Christian serves to grow the body. And that matrix for ministry includes three things. It includes your gifting, which we've already covered that's that favor of God bestowed upon you that reveals the Spirit in you. It, it includes your service. 
And your service is that specific assignment, that place where you serve and where your ministry is performed. And in the body of Christ, we've already seen that the leaders are charged to equip people for service and to enable them to serve. So that has to work, obviously, in alignment with the leadership of the church. But that service assignment is the second part of your matrix for ministry. The third part is your activity or the actual action or operation that you perform through which your gift is demonstrated in which your place of service takes hold. You see, each Christian has a matrix of ministry that God empowers to build the body. It's not always consumed only or always with the operation of your gift specifically, but in its place, your gift and your assignment and your activity come together for the principal expression of your giftedness, of your grace DNA to be bestowed and expressed in service so the body can be blessed and built up. And so as you seek to grow and mature, as I talked about, to be stronger in your faith so that you can demonstrate your gift according to your faith and to mature so you can become wiser in the ways that you use it. And listen, wisdom helps us to say no as well as it does yes. And it usually helps us to say no more than yes. Because getting rid of everything you shouldn't be doing is important to be able to focus on what God has gifted you to do. And yet it's still the hardest lesson in life to learn, is it not? No, no. When, when I'm not being asked something, that's the easiest word to say. And yet the biggest challenge for me at times. As you seek to grow and to mature, remember this. Every gift needs a service and every gift needs an activity for the Christian and for the body. As Christians serve through their matrix of ministry, God supplies supernatural power to accomplish his purposes for each Christian and to build the body. The third principle helps us understand our stewardship of grace. And I'll close with this quickly. Christians mature as they seek to excel in serving. Your gift bestows a stewardship, a responsibility upon you. 1 Peter 4.10 says, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Here's step number three. Invest your energy in serving to steward God's grace for greater faithfulness, greater effectiveness, and greater influence for the gospel. Friends, Never settle in such a way that you stop seeking God's will by the demonstration, the growth of your faith, and the maturity of the exercise of your gift. God empowers Christians with gifts of grace to serve among the body, to build up all.